Hello, everyone, and welcome to KASB's The Advocate podcast for Friday, May 5th, uh, 2023. I'm Leah Flyter, and I'm joined today by my colleagues, Scott Rothschild and John Four, and our producer, Alec Madrigal. So, it was a crazy week last week in the legislature. We, we have, uh, we think we have things figured out. We're going to focus today on Senate Bill 113, which is uh, a big bill, a bundled bill, as we call it, that uh, combines the K-12 funding for a couple of years with policies and other provisions that KASB doesn't support. And then there's just some things in it that are just kind of weird. So we're, we're going to analyze this for you today and help you understand uh, Senate Bill 113, which is headed to Governor Laura Kelly for her action. So John, let's start off with what KASB supports in Senate Bill 113. Uh, so first and foremost, Senate Bill 113 is a budget bill, and so does a lot of the appropriating of uh, various funds for school districts for the next couple of fiscal years. Uh, so one thing it does is it does appropriate, you know, the general school finance money uh, for fiscal years 24 and 25. Uh, additionally, it also extends the high density at-risk waiting sunset um, from July 1st, 2024 to July 1st, 2027. A, a, a lot of districts throughout the state receive additional funding um, for uh, having a high density of at-risk students. I think this amounts to maybe 72 to $76 million, I believe, uh, this last last mm -hmm. year. And this was set to expire in July of 2024. So they extended that expiration date until July of 2027. Additionally, the bill also extends the 20 mil statewide tax levy until 2425, I believe, uh, to finance the state aid to school districts. And then it also makes some changes to the safe and secure safety grants school districts can apply for. I believe it appropriates additional money for that. And it also allows districts to purchase communication devices and equipment um, necessary for effective communication with law enforcement, security services, and schools. Um, again, just kind of expanding the availability to use those funds to purchase uh, needs to help address school safety in uh, various districts. Yeah, as a reminder for folks that um, those school safety grants are a one-to-one -one match. So the state supplies money and then the district has to match that funding. And in this case, you know, this expansion is for things like radios and other types of, of um, emergency equipment. And so that kind of wraps up just the kind of overall funding parts of it. Um, so I'll kind of pass it on to Leah to highlight some of the policy provisions of the bill. Thanks, John. So there are some some bad policies in here that uh, KASB continues to oppose. Senate Bill 113 expands the low income student scholarship program, which is a type of voucher to include unaccredited schools. And it increases the income eligibility of students from 185% of federal poverty to 250% of federal poverty. So expands it uh, far beyond low-income students, which is what the program was originally designed for, and it increases the tax credit for donors from 70% to 75% for the folks who donate to the scholarship funds. So as our regular listeners know, KASB opposes vouchers in any form, whether they are tuition tax credit scholarships, as we see in Senate Bill 113, whether they are education savings accounts, vouchers, 
or whether they are pure vouchers. You know, we oppose vouchers. That's based on our member policy that has been repeatedly affirmed throughout the years. So that's why we oppose that portion of Senate Bill 113. So thank you, Leah. So the conference committee did make a change to the Kansas School Equity Enhancement Act that would change how you calculate your enrollment when determining state aid. Under current law, you can either select the highest enrollment of either the uh, prior year or the second prior year. Whichever is highest is the number that you can use to calculate your state aid. The way the bill was changed was they added the current year option. So um, if you're in district gaining enrollment, it allows you to use your current year uh, enrollment number and receive aid based off that number. Um, so for a number of districts, that will be helpful. However, they also removed the second prior year option. So if you're a district that is declining in enrollment, uh, you won't be able to use that second prior year option. You will have to, so you know, coming up for this next fiscal year, you will either be able to use your 22-23 enrollment or you'll be able to use your 23-24 enrollment, whichever the highest of the two. Um, with this rule changing, if you are declining, you will not be able to use your 21-22 enrollment um, that you would have been able to do under existing law, but with the new law um, will be excluded. So again, just kind of summarize it. Want to know how your district's impacted. If you had your highest enrollment number in 22-23 school year over the last several years, you probably won't necessarily be impacted by the bill. Um, if your 22-23 year enrollment was lower than the year before, um, you may see an impact um, under the bill. That was a great summary, John. Thank you. Scott, can you give us a little context on how this kind of look back came to be? Uh, you know, that, that, uh, that look back was designed as part of the school finance law to help soften the blow of declining enrollment, correct? Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, we have, I believe, about 100 districts with declining enrollment. So this is not an unusual occurrence. It, it's happening in a lot of our districts. And it was a way that the legislature uh, decided, you know, there are all kinds of competing interests in the legislature. And it was a, a compromise that the legislature came to, to kind of smooth the effects of declining enrollment for those, uh, uh, for those districts that were experiencing that. So really, uh, without uh, a hearing or without allowing districts to talk about this or to approach their legislators, this was changed uh, in the conference committee, uh, you know, uh, just without any uh, stakeholder input, which to me, you know, is always a dangerous thing because you never know what the uh, consequences are, are intended or un unintended consequences are. So a lot of our districts, uh, you know, thought they were going to uh, be able to calculate their state state foundation aid on uh, a look back of two years. And now they are finding out, you know, in, uh, in May. Uh, as when they're, they're in the middle the of negotiations. <laughs> yeah, some are signing contracts and they're finding out, oh, I can't look back two years. I can look back one year. That's a big deal to a lot of our districts. And it was made, you know, uh, literally, you know, behind closed doors and uh, just, uh, you know, without any uh, input uh, from those districts. And, and uh, I mean, frankly, I just think that's totally unfair. I mean, you can have this debate, 
It, it's, sure. it's, a, Absolutely. it's an honest debate, you know, should districts have a two-year look back or one year or current? Let's have that debate. But this was done without the debate. Yeah. Thanks, Scott. I appreciate your context since you've been covering the legislature for so long. Um, the other provision that we oppose in Senate Bill 113 is it provides only a $7.5 million increase in special education funding. That is far short of what's needed to attain the 92% of excess cost reimbursement that's required by state law. In fact, with the loss of federal COVID funding that's going to expire next year, this the uh, reimbursement for SPED will actually decrease from 76% this year to 69% next year. So for a number of our districts, they're going to see again an increase, but then that SPED underfunding uh, really either wipes that Gannon increase out or at least carves it carves a lot out of it because as our listeners know, we are proud to offer those mandatory SPED services, but you know they're mandated. And if the uh, if the state doesn't reimburse us, we have to take money out of the general fund to provide those mandated services. And so that's a real problem, obviously, especially when, you know, we have worked all year and everybody sort of seems to be in agreement or everybody in the education community seemed to be in agreement about the uh, importance of increasing special education funding, at least by, you know, the 72 million dollars for next year that that had been talked about and then. This bill only includes a $7.5 million increase, which is about 1%, uh, you know, to be spread across the 286 school districts in Kansas. So, so that's a problem. And, and additionally, the bill sets up the Special Education Task Force. That's an 11-member task force that's supposed to meet, I believe, you know, over the summer and fall to make some recommendations to the legislature on the special education funding formula and how we fund those services. Uh, KASB has cons been consistent throughout the legislative session in saying that task force certainly is fine. It's a good idea, but setting up a task force does not substitute for fully funding special education. So that's another reason why we oppose Senate Bill 113. And then, Scott, there are some additional provisions in, in Senate Bill 113 that we might want folks to know about. So why don't you go ahead and summarize those for us now? Okay, thank you, Leah. Uh, yeah, there is a provision in there where it gives the, the legislature the right of first refusal to purchase property that a district wants to dispose of. And it outlines a very lengthy procedure that the school districts have to notify the legislature and there are waiting periods to allow the legislature to decide, you know, whether, uh, how this property should be disposed of. So, you know, this is, this is really getting into uh, local school district decisions. School boards, you know, they they vet these issues very carefully. Uh, closing a school building is is usually one of the hardest things that they do. So, uh, you know, we would not see a reason for the legislature to get involved in that. And really, this came up after there was a school closure in one district, and a group that was unhappy with it came to the legislature bringing their concerns. And so that's what triggered this proposal. Now, the proposal itself, I don't believe, affects that particular uh, circumstance. But going forward, uh, under this bill, uh, school districts will have to deal with the legislature, basically, when they want to uh, dispose of a building. 
There's another provision in there that allows school districts to compensate local school board members. This was a bill also brought up. You know, we talk to school board members all the time. We, we go on uh, uh, trips across the state. We talk to uh, community members. No one ever brought up, oh, we need to pay school board members. This never came up. This was not on our radar. This is so this was another provision that was just kind of weirdly put in at the, at the last uh, kind of minute there. There's another provision that allows non-public school students to participate in local uh, districts uh, activities that are sponsored by CASIA, the Kansas State High School Activities Association. So a homeschooled child can try out for the football team. The district uh, in this provision, the district can require the non-public school student to enroll or complete a particular course as a condition to participate. You know, again, many of our school districts already do this, some do not. And I think, you know, requiring this is gonna raise a little, raise some hackles on the local level uh, because, you know, uh, my child goes to public school, uh, he or she does, you know, all the coursework, all the stuff that he or she needs to do to be able to participate in an extracurricular activity. And they may get bumped from that activity by someone who's uh, being homeschooled. It's just going to cause a little, some problems down the road, I think. So, I mean, those are, those are several of the things. Uh, there was a provision uh, put in the bill uh, that uh, it, it, it allows for a cost of living waiting. This is something that 20 to 21 school districts can do now. It changes that, it ratchets the formula a little different so that maybe six more districts can participate in it. This is something we did not testify on one way or the other. Obviously, this is a good thing for some school districts. And as some legislators pointed out, it could be a little disequalizing to other school districts. So that's that's something that was put in there too. But, uh, you know, you might have to remind me, I don't think there was a hearing on that provision. I think it was just something that some people brought to the committee. It was, it was brought up in a House K-12 Education Budget Committee hearing. Um, that was a broader hearing about the K-12 budget. It was not ever a bill or anything. Right. So it was never a bill that had a public hearing that allowed, you know, stakeholders from all sides to testify. I think that's probably some of the problem, personally, at least I have on some of these provisions, because they just kind of arise out of, you know, a certain legislator's concern, and there's really no vetting or public vetting of the, uh, of the, of the issue. And I, and I don't know why uh, it seems to me when you have more of a public vetting, you get more buy-in, you get more information out there. It seems like you would prefer that as a legislator instead of just kind of you know, slipping things in there at the very uh, end. So th those are some of the, the the things that were put in, that are also included in Senate Bill 113. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about what happens next. I think many of our listeners know that uh, Senate Bill 113 was finalized on the very last day of the session. It was day 90, and there was a conference committee that met at 8.30 in the morning and kicked the bill out. And so uh, it's got a lot of stuff that KSB supports, and it's got a lot of stuff that we oppose. And uh, we and others have, have urged the governor to veto the bill. So 
So Scott, what happens if the governor vetoes Senate Bill 113? We don't know what she'll do. We aren't privy to the governor's thinking. I want to make that clear. So let's talk about what happens if the bill gets vetoed. Well, she will probably get the bill on her desk probably today. So, uh, and this is May 5th. Happy Cinco de Mayo, everyone. Uh, and she will probably get the bill today. And then she has 10 days to decide um, whether to sign it or veto it or allow it to become law without her signature. And so um, uh, we uh, are just, uh, like you say, we are privy to her thinking on this. If she vetoes it, there there is still funding for the next year. and For the upcoming school year, yep. For the upcoming school year. So basically, if she vetoed it and we did not have a special session, it's essentially kicking the can down the road to the next school year. Uh, and if she did veto it, and then if she did call a special session, then the legislature could start doing a lot of things. And I think there is a little concern, at least in her uh, office, that uh, things the legislature could work on, uh, could revisit things that she does not want them to revisit. For instance, she vetoed the uh, flat uh, state income tax bill. Uh, they almost overrode that veto. They lacked one vote, I believe, or two votes in the Senate to override it. And uh, I think there's a feeling that if she, if there was a special session, they may try to revisit that. I don't know. So there's a lot of there's a lot of political yeah. uh, uh, maneuvering, and there's a lot of uh, uh, theories going around as to what uh, what a veto would do. Uh, and so, you know, we just like I said, she'll probably get the bill on her desk today, and then she'll so she'll probably have the ten days, and then so we'll know by mid-May uh, what the decision is. Between now and and when the governor has to has to act on it, I, I would recommend anyone who has concerns about this bill to contact the governor's office. Yeah. Agreed. Well, this will most likely be the last uh, advocate podcast uh, for at least several weeks unless something big happens. So I want to thank our producer, Alec Mandrigal, for uh, working with us all session to keep us uh, in good shape and well produced. And I want to thank John and Scott for all their hard work this session. We did a we did yeoman's work for Kansas Public Schools, and, I, and I'm very proud of, of what KASB has done. So Thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, we will we'll talk to you again sometime.